0: Hi, it's Jamie, and I'm Portia, and we are Just Two Pearls.
1: Join us for Adventures in Pearls.
0: Hey, y'all, our reflection today comes from Dr. Jennifer Nash, and it goes like this. My wish is for Black feminist theory that it can name the fatigue, the tiredness, and even the violence that comes with always being made a symbol, even if that symbol is seemingly a productive one a figure that can save the field of women's studies from its history, its ongoing violence, effectively rescuing it from itself. Letting go allows us to put the visionary genius of black feminism to work otherwise. It is thus a practice of freedom. Thus ends the reading. It's a good one, Jamie. Yeah, that I really cool. like some of the newer work that's being written and Black Feminist Theory. So if y'all are looking for some book suggestions, I have one or two that I can send your way.
1: Awesome, awesome. So I've got an adventure-ish adventure that I want to share with all of the pearls and with you, Jamie, as we are in the throes right in the middle of a um, rapidly moving march, actually. This march is marching on um, without us, whether we know it or not. Like, we're actually halfway through. And I'm just kind of like, where's this month going? But um, since this is March and March Madness and March Womanhood and just March Everything, I want to talk about uh, March ministry. How about that? I'm going to tag this March ministry. And so um, I am a woman in ministry, as everyone should know by listening to this podcast. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, Jamie and I are both um, ordained Baptist ministers. And um, I currently serve in uh, the capacity of a pastor to youth and children in New Jersey. And so, um, but this, this is not specifically to my current context. I'm just speaking overall. Um, I will say this, because I saw this article kind of surface this past week about um, going by our titles of um, being reverend or pastor or minister, whether or not to wear the collar or to wear um, our robes and our stoles. And I'm reminded that these things are not necessarily used Uh, to place a hierarchy per se, but they serve as excellent reminders as to who we are and who God has called us to be and how we are to be separated apart. So there are times where people will address me by my first name um, in church. And, you know, it used to bother me before. It used to irk me, and then at some point I just kind of let it go. Um, but after reading this article, I was reminded that my title isn't necessarily to say that I'm better or buzz, but it's a reminder that I'm a representative um, that God has called um, to bear the gospel. And so people sometimes, I notice, get too comfortable. Um, I notice, people are just comfortable all the way around, be it our male colleagues, be it our parishioners, be it um, other women uh, minister colleagues. Sometimes we get way too comfortable in public settings um, that we forget to give each other the same respect and courtesy that the other would want. Um, I've literally had people, women, um, particularly just call me flat out Portia. But, again, I'm still addressing them as Reverend so-and-so. And they're it's like, oh, Portia, Portia, Portia. And it's like, yeah, but you would be really offended right now if I called you by your first name, be it maybe Jane, right? And I realize, even though it doesn't necessarily, like, get to me like I'm getting offended, but I'm being reminded that these titles, these Uh, symbols are put in place to remind people um, of who we are, and I'm becoming more comfortable in that, and um, not comfortable, but I'm becoming more affirmed in that is what I really want to say, to wear the robe um, when necessary, to wear the soul when necessary. Um, I might get a collar. I might not. I don't know. I've never worn a collar, but, you know, who knows? It It might actually help out here in these streets, I'm doing like visitations and stuff um, for the public, because the public knows and assumes certain things when they see certain symbols. Um, And so while it might not be for me, it's a reminder for others. So yeah, just being a woman in ministry, sometimes it can be uh, daunting, but then I'm always reminded uh, by the spellman hymn, we are undaunted by the fight. But I can be honest it can be daunting it can be hard it can be challenging um, especially when the residue of patriarchy continues to seep through um, in other ways and um, you know sometimes it gets frustrating when male colleagues are like or even women colleagues they're just like oh you know it's really not that deep it's not that hard it's not that serious but I'm like but you don't know what it feels like to walk in my shoes so how can you project um, your experiences on on mine Um, and so um, just being prayerful, being mindful, so is being thoughtful. Um, treat women clergy uh, with the same love and respect that you would with a male clergy person. Um, yes, patriarchy and pumps is real, but I think we can all um, remember to come together around the table for common good and that um, it, it is a, we are called by God and God loves us all and we're going to continue to do our work and together we will continue to transform the world.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that, Portia. I think that this is something that we could have, honestly, a whole separate podcast episode about, whether it's in the church or just professionalism in general, how we ought to refer to people when we have permission to call people, perhaps by first names or in more casual, informal ways, um, what are the kinds of appropriate conversations to have with people and at what times. I think that's a big issue in ministry in teaching and just being a person in the professional world. When is it that you're supposed to bring your big, heavy personal issue? And when is it that maybe you should save that until a later time? I think there are so many questions about just professional ethics, especially around how we treat women, how we as women treat other women professionally, and how people who are not women treat women professionally. I think that is a whole large burrito for us to enjoy, <laughs> perhaps maybe not right this minute because it's not the subject of this episode, but it's really interesting because I had a conversation with a student who was admitted to my program at UCLA, and she was talking to me about the, I don't know, I guess you might call it the, like, affect of different departments where some departments are more casual and everybody's on the first name basis. And at other departments, it's a little bit more formal, and the professors are called Professor So-and-So. And And this person preferred the more informal. And as a black woman, I kind of bristled at that a bit. And so I, I think there's so many layers to this. I know that there's different ways that this is handled with different ethnic groups, with different age groups. So yeah, so let's definitely save this. We we have a couple episodes that we're saving pearls. I think this will be one of the ones that we save for a future conversation because I think that's really important.
1: Yes, professional ethics across the board yeah. and being women in right. professional spaces, absolutely.
0: Yeah, so we will save that for the future. That's important. But y'all, we have a really cool episode for you today. And so we're just gonna move right on from that topic, but 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 know that we will come back because we are the pearls and, and we have a long memory. So today we are so excited we are have two guests who have both talked to us about the state of black womanhood. They centered in a State of the Union address for black women in twenty nineteen. And I'll introduce one of them and Portia will introduce the other. I'm going to introduce Brittany because I go to school with Brittany and we're going to hear from her first. Brittany Metzenheimer is a colleague of mine. She is a student in the higher education program here at the University of California, Los Angeles. She's a Ph.D. student. She is a brilliant educator, but she's also a brilliant black feminist, a brilliant thinker about race and gender and social class and the politics of what happens with black girls in the classroom. And I'm really excited for you all to hear what she has to say about the state of education right now, especially for black women and girls. And who is our other guest, Portia? yeah and so
1: our second guest for today who will be sharing with us is none other than minister candace simpson and minister candace simpson is a faith and justice educator at the united methodist women in new york she's also the associate minister at concord baptist church the concord baptist church Uh uh-huh it's very historic in the city the great 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 borough of brooklyn and candace is all things wonderful. She has a wonderful way of just justice and advocacy. She has such a heart for children. She has a heart for women. She has a heart for LGBTQIA justice and advocacy. She is just the auntie that everybody would want. She is the church mother that I think we all imagine she's the minister I think everyone deserves to have and the friend that so many people um, rave about. And Candace is just such a gift to the faith community. And she is just leading um, with such grace, with such, yeah, with so much grace. Yeah, that's, a, that's the exact word I want to say, with just so much grace um, and love. She, she embodies love to me. And so I'm really excited and grateful that she decided to um, join us, and I look forward for you all to hear her. Hi, folks.
2: I'm Brittany, and I'm a graduate student at the University of California, Los Angeles. Uh, my work focuses on Black girls and Black women in education, uh, so that covers K-12 and also higher education, and I specifically look at institutional violence and the impact that it has on our experiences in the education system, and I'm so happy to be talking about us today because I believe there's so many important pressing issues that Black girlhood and Black womanhood give us insights on, and so much about our lived experience is special and resilient and should really be celebrated more often. For some of the pressing issues when thinking about Black women um, that really come up around Black women and Black girls for me is thinking about folks who sit along other marginalized identities and how we're showing up for them and making space for them to make sure that their stories are heard because they're truly valuable for our collective efforts towards liberation. I think a lot about some of our Black literary, poetic, and political geniuses and foremothers who so graciously gave of themselves, quite literally, their lives, their life's work uh, to challenge us to think differently about what it means to be us. So Angela Davis, Bell Hooks, Toni Morrison, Ashada Shakur, Maya Angelou, Zora Neale Hurston, Octavia Butler, Gwendolyn Brooks, Nikki Giovanni. Uh, so many others who sat in their identities in a particular way. So race, class, gender, sexuality, all informed their ways of seeing and understanding the world, which is really a gift for us to have as a community of Black women, uh, for us to really thinking about ourselves. Um, To that end, I really wanna lift up Black women who sit in other marginalities, like I said, right? So Black trans women, disabled Black women, fat Black women, queer Black women, Black migrant women, There's important collective work to do around safety and recognition and valuing our sisters and making sure that there's space for them. Uh, As a queer Black woman myself, I see so many places where Black women are at the forefront of making significant changes for what our world looks like. So whether that's folks working in finance or housing or education systems or political systems, there's so much committed effort um, that's being done that I really wanna recognize. Um, But I also want to challenge us to think creatively about how our black girls are getting educated and how they're navigating trauma and violence and what types of things are we showing up for them for, particularly in an education system that more and more is resembling the jails and prisons that we're trying to avoid our young folks making contact with. Um, How punishment and control of black girl bodies is like an actual crisis right now there's ways in which black girls are becoming more and more vulnerable to state violence, institutional violence, but then violence that's also committed by our education systems. And that violence extends beyond curriculum or ideological, but there are ways that physically schools are no longer, are increasingly becoming unsafe for them. And so we need to think about um, what types of interventions are we willing to invest in and think about to protect black girls and black girlhood. Um, which is, you know, really an extension of protecting Black womanhood. And so part of that for me is when we think about the state of affairs for Black folks in this country, Black men can't be the default, right? Um, It really should be girls and Black women whose social position is unique so that we have different insights about our world, whose um, experience of racial and gendered violence, and whose uh, freedom is critical for collective uplift, right? for a, a collective freedom and liberation for black folks. Uh, so much of the framing of our patriarchal heteronormative society is that we default to men as a way to gauge the health of the entire race, which is just not successful. So I think about black girls and women who are victims of sexual assault or sexual abuse, whether that's by a high profile celebrity or a neighbor or a family member. And we really need to think differently about the ways that we believe girls and women, and we show up for them and keep them safe without re-traumatizing them, providing them with resources and community and support. Um, There are definitely ways that Black women and Black girls have found ourselves, we found ourselves being centered in the news and media, which is great because it's giving us a level of visibility that we maybe didn't have before around particular issues, but then it opens up another layer of scrutiny and consequence or a downside that I think we want to make sure that people are staying mindful of for what that means to us and for us um, and how we're trying to collectively problem solve. Um, It's not enough to only uplift the stories of those who we believe are the perfect victims or quote unquote believable because they portray femininity or gender or race in an acceptable way, right? We have hood girl epistemologies and ghetto girl pedagogies. um, These aren't oxymorons, but rather reflections of the brilliance and shine in all Black girls and women, um, no matter where they're located uh, in our world. And we need to make sure that we're nurturing and supporting those embodied ways of knowing and understanding about the world. Um, And of course, we know that there are tangible ways for us to think about building community. So we talk a lot about shopping Black, supporting Black-owned businesses, Black women-owned businesses, and and I think there's also ways for folks with particular interests to support Black women in the spheres or the places where you find yourself operating a lot. So, for example, I uh, practice yoga and I love art. Right. So part of that commitment to doing those things means trying to support um, Black-owned studios, Black-run um, yoga spaces, or spaces that are at least Black-affirming black woman affirming. Um it also means thinking about how do we challenge places that are overwhelmingly light, white like museums and art galleries <laughs> and overwhelmingly male, uh, and finding where black women exist in those spaces and uplifting them, right? Uh so I challenge you all to think about do you know five black women artists and could you you know name them off the top of your head, folks who aren't Kara Walker, right? She's great and she's brilliant, um, but only referencing her is not enough. We have tons of other ways that Black women show up in our cultural representations, and we should make sure that we put them in a spotlight in our culture, in our collective lexicon of who we reference when we talk about art in a particular way, or who we reference when we talk about those who contribute to the culture, contribute to Black culture, contribute to American culture, for those folks who are, who are really capturing the essence of Black experience um they're very much our 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 storytellers and the keepers of our history so we need to make sure we recognize them as such so this goes for all things that we consume and support i think maintaining cultures and practices of care is critically important beyond this sort of new wave you know self-care fad that people seem to really be taking up but ways that we deeply care about one another and love one another is important Um, I definitely follow a long tradition of Black feminists who, in spite of the circumstances, have hope for us and for our people. And I think that's what I challenge myself with as an educator, as a continuous learner, as a person who's constantly trying to grow and evolve, is to do that from a place of love and hope.
3: Earlier this month, my friend Portia invited me to talk about the state of Black girls in the church And I sat at a blinking document for hours, wondering what exactly I should say. The statistics exist. I'm not a researcher or a scholar of black girls. And there are plenty of people who study black girlhood and the challenges and opportunities for black girls. I am just a black woman who loudly hears the black girl inside of her yelling to come out and play. So to satisfy her and her demands, I decided to listen to the black girl inside of me. This black girl inside of me makes me the minister that I am today. I hear her curiosity. I see her confusion. I feel her joy. I even hear her smart aleck backtalk. There are children inside of each one of us. That child needs something. And when the child doesn't get it, the child will throw a tantrum. As a minister, I find that people don't want to know what God says alone. They want to know what God says to our situation. Why should we trust some thousands year old book to give us advice when we also know that such a book has imprisoned us literally and figuratively in so many ways? When I think of the black girl I used to be, I think about the girl who was encouraged to write stories by her babysitter the girl who learned to pray by writing letters, the girl who would spend hours in her room staring at the insides of some book. There's someone inside of me who has so much to say but has been conditioned to silence herself in class and in other places. Our children, and specifically our girls, need places where they can speak out, where they can dream, where they can play with ideas as much as they play with computer code. In a racist, cis-heteronormative, capitalist, sexist world, trending towards fascism, our secret weapon is in our imagination. We can talk about what is all we want to, but we also must use the muscle memory of our imagination to get us free. Otherwise, we will be right here at this same old conference, at this same old protest, at this same old panel, at this same old workshop, hearing the same old quotes every year. Today, my inner black girl wants to imagine what conditions would free her. So I offer this piece. Hello, everybody. I'm also running for president. Among my major promises, student debt forgiveness and all debts. We've had thousands of years of civilization and we are overdue for hundreds of seasons of Jubilee. Imagine how many families could be free from the weight of debt if all debts, including student debts, were forgiven. A program where we take over the numerous empty condos that rich people use as investments so that everyone can have warm and beautiful homes. A service where you bring your hair products to the airport and you store them in a little locker and other people can pick up what you left behind. So think of it like Uber for hair care products, except it'll be free and will save black people millions of dollars in shea butter that they had to buy while traveling because they'd rather spend $7 on new shea butter than 25 or $50 for checked baggage. Free vacations for everyone and a built-in friend who just took a vacation to say, you aren't letting anyone down by turning off for four days. I'll cover for you. A healthy produce. Healthy produce grown in local gardens to help reduce a dependency to Food Industries, Inc. A program called Professional Nanas, where basically we just give elders money to sit on the stoop and to know everybody's business and host dinners so no one ever feels alone. And of course, in the process, they'll tell stories and listen to you ramble about your breakup or drop curse words unexpectedly about how your ex ain't shit, thus breaking your sadness and propelling you into uncontrollable healing laughter. Puppies. Everyone gets puppies. Puppies for everyone. Because we love our planet, we're going to be less dependent on cars. And that'll be okay because our public transit will be reliable, clean, friendly, and on time. And of course, because we're moving to public transit, we'll have more showtime. And the Showtime kids are going to be trained in conflict resolution and restorative justice. So in those moments when people get attitudes and start nonsense on the train, the Showtime kids will intervene and nobody has to call the cops. Oh, the reason why they won't be calling the cops is there will be no cops and no prisons because we will keep each other safe will invest in social workers and healers and teachers, doctors, sanitation workers, and other essential jobs. And because in the future, no one will be in financial need, no one will need to commit crimes of desperation. There will be no such thing as sexual assault because everyone will feel free to have the desires they have, and they'll practice healthy boundaries, and no one will exploit or coerce or force another to do something they do not want to do. There will be no abuse because instead of spending all this time and this money on cops and jails, we'll be spending time and money giving people space to process their emotions and work on managing healthy coping strategies and more. We'll get to the root of each problem because we'll have the time and resource and the cultural norm of doing so. So this is my platform for president. There is no donation link. But instead of donating to my campaign, give money to someone in your local community who's already doing this dope work. Imagine that.
1: Okay,
0: so we are very grateful to Reverend Candace and to Brittany for being our guest on this episode of Just Two Pearls. We hope that you have learned a lot from both of them and that you are leaving inspired and empowered for the journey ahead. But let's go ahead and finish up this episode with, you guessed it, a petty pearl. Yes, always. So I just kind of want to loop back to Portia's adventure from earlier, uh, which was about the way that she is treated as a black woman in ministry. And as we are here in the middle of what the pearls have dubbed Black Women's History Month, I think what Patty is not listening and hearing and believing black women. And I think there are so many examples of this all around us. We don't even need to name names or say specific circumstances. And I think we need to stop doing so much looking outside of ourselves, so much accusing others and pointing fingers at others. And we've talked about this on the show in the past, but what black women really need, I think this is you know also a direction that we're headed in in terms of just Black feminist and womanist work as well. What Black women really need in our families, in our houses of faith, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, is truly the kind of justice that is intimate, that's firsthand, that can be felt in the immediate and in the here and now. And so what I would say to those of us who are Black women, is that it's petty not to look another black woman in the eye and to truly see her and acknowledge her and believe her. What I'll say to those who are not black women is that it is petty not to look a black woman in the eye and to see her and to hear her and to believe her and to take her seriously. And so our charge to you on the, in the middle of this pearly black women's history month is to believe Black women, to trust Black women, to listen to Black women, to take the needs of Black women seriously, and to advocate for justice for yourself if you are a Black woman, and for Black women if you are not. And I think it's petty to do anything else. Portia, I think this has been a really fun episode, and I'm excited to see where the rest of this month will take us. March is a long month.
1: Ditto. I agree.
0: So we will talk to you all next time here on Just Two Pearls.
1: Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Just Two Pearls. And you can email us at adventures at JustTwoPearls.com.
0: And remember, cultivate the pearl within you.